on, would you believe, Galatians week three? I reckon there are going to be 10 weeks, but there will be a couple of breaks for guest speakers that are fed into that, which will be something to look forward to. Today, we're going to cover chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. And this passage includes what, for me, is the first great quotable quotation of the book of Galatians, which is verse 20 of chapter 2, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. That's the old school version. We're going to be heading towards that verse this morning. If you remember last week, I said that, that loosely speaking, Galatians chapters 1 and 2 are pretty personal to Paul. And then chapters 3 and 4, he starts diving into some of the theory, the doctrine. And then, in, as is usually his want, in chapter 5 and 6, he starts getting into the real practical, nitty-gritty application of those truths. And in the last part of chapter 2, which is where we are today, uh, having highlighted the, the major issues that are at stake and are being wrestled over in that church, Paul, Paul's defense of the true gospel comes to, to a head. And in it, he explains the, the pivotal concept of justification. Let, let's read that passage before we get going, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth are not sinful Gentiles. Bad news, folks. That's us. Most of us, I suspect. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ, does that mean, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebelled what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 90, for, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Okay, so plan is we're going to do three things this morning. First of all, we're going to look at justification, look at what it is and what it does and how we get there. And secondly, with, with that pivotal verse 20 in mind, we're going to look at what Paul has died to. And then thirdly, in that context, what it means to say instead that Christ lives in me. That's the plan. Number one, then, first of all, we are justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So justified, the word justified or justification, it is a theological word. 
if you look it up, it, it appears mainly in Romans and Galatians. And the Greek word literally means to make righteous. It means to declare or pronounce someone as righteous. And righteous means acceptable to God. So justification then is the act of making or pronouncing someone right and acceptable with God. And of course, the good news is that Jesus has taken care of that once and for all. Romans 3 verse 22 says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Give me a wave if you're an all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 24, and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So three facts about justification, three facts about about how we have been made right and acceptable in the sight of God. Number one, justification is an act and not a process. I'll explain these in a second. Number two, justification is an act of God. And number three, justification is by faith, not works. And it's by grace and not law. So I showed you those five commentaries right at the start of the series. Warren Wiersbe said that justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. And the key word there is, is the word act. Justification is an act and not a process. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Note that it's past tense. It's have been. It's not we are being justified or or we will be justified. It's have been. Justification is an act and not a process. And that means that no one Christian is any more justified than another. And since we have been justified by faith, it is an instant and immediate transaction between a believing sinner and God. Now, if if it were possible to be justified by works, if you think about it, it would, by definition, be a gradual process of making yourself right and acceptable with God. I think the question is, how on earth could you ever measure that? So number one, it's an act and not a process. Number two, justification is an act of God. Romans 8.33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. We We have been justified by the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 
so when Jesus took our place on the cross, he was declared guilty. We were declared innocent. He took our unrighteousness and we were made righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made, past tense, God made him who had no sin to be sinned for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right, uh, justification is an act of God. Law cannot do it. Personal character cannot do it. All the good works in the world cannot do it. Only God can do it. And he did just that in Christ Jesus. J.I. Packer, you might have heard of him, he said, to justify means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges of those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation. That is of acquittal and legal immunity. Think about that. You, you are not liable to any penalties. You are, it's as if you are entitled to all the benefits and rewards of the fulfillment of the law. And the sentence that God has pronounced over you is innocent. You have been acquitted. You have legal immunity. The great judge has pronounced his sentence and miraculously in the most stunning and startling act of mercy, we have been justified once and for all. Now, justification is, is not simply forgiveness. You see, you can be forgiven and then go out and sin again and you become guilty all over again. But when you are justified, it's as though the Lord picks you up and moves you from the guilty side to the innocent side, and there you remain forever. You might have heard the, the definition of justified. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And thirdly, justification is by faith, not works, by grace, not law, not law. So verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is an emphatic reminder that whether you are a Jew or a gentle, we are justified by faith alone and not by works of the law. As I just said, law just cannot do it. Excellence of character cannot do it. All the most wonderful good works in the world cannot do it. The only way you can be justified is through faith in Christ. Galatians 3 verse 24, we'll come to this. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the true gospel that Paul is defending. 
So what does, that, what does all that mean for you and for me? Now, this is only very, very good news. You know, all that, all that striving for acceptance, all that sweating to be good enough, all that guilt and shame caused by our own inadequacy, all those futile attempts to earn God's favour should now be firmly assigned to the past. This is what Paul means, Galatians, by free. You see, justified is, is the position in which you now stand as a believing child of God. You are now in right standing with God without any guilt, shame or condemnation as if sin never even existed. And do you know what? Nothing can change that. Nothing can break it. You've no further need to try to earn it. It is not and never could be the result of obeying the law. You cannot become any more righteous than you already are. You don't need to be justified over and over again. You certainly don't need to be circumcised. Come. Tell them I'm a bit stressed about that one, can't you? It, you know, it, comes, it comes down to this. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, famous passage, I often call it the sinner's prayer, says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Believe, justified, profess, and saved. This is good news. It's called the gospel. That's number one, justification. Number two, Paul makes this startling statement, says, I have been crucified with Christ. You know, and Paul is declaring something like this. What he is saying is, is Paul the law liver, who's attempting to do it for himself, to become righteous through his own works, to climb that impossible uphill slope, that Paul has died. And instead, Paul the grace liver, sorry, Paul the grace receiver is now alive. The Paul who is now living in Christ's strength, led by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the inside, operating from, from the overflow of grace. Paul the grace receiver is now alive. Here's a statement for you. Before we can really live, a whole lot has to die. The good news is that Jesus died and Jesus rose again so we could really live. John 10, verse 10, he came to give us life, abundant, overflowing, rich, full life. Abundance. And fruitfulness. Companionship, even joy. But you know what? First... Those things that are standing in the way need to be crucified. 
as I said, before we can really live, a whole lot has to die. A lot of us are going to say yes and amen to that. So let's ask, what, what had Paul died to? Just really quickly. First one, Paul had died to the law as his way of being saved, as his functional saviour. Verse 16b, because, of the, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, the law, of course, had a purpose. Already, already read it, Galatians 3, verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. The King James calls the law our schoolmaster. But it can never save you. Its primary purpose is to point you to Christ. And you know, before, before Paul was saved, he had been obeying, but he hadn't been obeying for God. He was obeying for himself. He was obeying as a way of earning a reward. Not, not out of his sheer love for God. But what Paul is saying here is, is that has died. Why? Because he'd realized that it was futile and had simply given it up. The second thing Paul had died to was, was law's inevitable condemnation. Can I just say how difficult it is to preach about Paul with Paul sitting in the front row? All right. Every time I say Paul, I go, Paul, 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 concentrate. This Paul, Paul, this Paul. I'm sure this Paul too. Paul had died to law's inevitable condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore that there is now no condemnation, amen, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality. Failure is inevitable. That's part of the point. But you don't have to keep beating yourself up for it anymore. We talked last week about about being kind to yourself. You know, the fact that we are now under grace, and we're going to come to that, that that allows and releases us to be kind to ourselves. Because grace releases us from that unrelenting sense of guilt and instead frees us into the liberty, the freedom of resurrection life. Paul had died to that. Third thing is he had decided to die to anything that wasn't God's will for him. Remember, Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Galatians 5, 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And dying to self is, is simply saying no to self and yes to God. Of course, Paul calls it dying because, because giving things up can be painful. But you know what? Letting go will release you into a newfound and unexpected and relieving freedom. You know, the power of letting go of pride of letting go of comparison, of letting go of competition. You know, the power, will come to this in a minute, the power of letting go of all the rules you've given yourself. The 
the power of letting go anywhere you've convinced yourself that you know better than God. Of course, he'd never say that. Again, before you can really live, actually a whole lot's got to die. But the good news, of course, is that whatever God wants for us will always be the best in the end, even if we cannot see it in the beginning. And then the fourth thing that, that Paul had died to is he died to the temptation to resort, to revert back to legalism. William Barclay, another commentator, said, speaking from personal experience, for Paul to re-erect the whole fabric of the law, which is what they were trying to make him do, remember, would have been spiritual suicide. You know, he tried all that. He'd given it absolutely everything he had. He'd busted his guts to keep every single detail and requirement of the law. And all the law had done was to show him his own hopelessness. All it did was to produce a deeper and darker sense that it could never make him right with God. So you know what? He decided to abandon it. Abandon the futile, never-ending, self-defeating commitment to legalism. And he decided to cast himself, a sinner, on the mercy of God. You see, to go, to go back to the law would, would simply entangle him, bind him up all over again. So he chose to crucify that man. The legalistic man that he once was was dead and buried. And instead, he had determined to rely on the grace and power of Christ that liveth in me. Which leads us on to the third point. It's no longer I that liveth, says Paul, but Christ that liveth in me. So here's the transition. True life, the, the, the gospel life, faith life, is not based on what I can do. It's not based on, on what rules I can keep or what I can do in my own strength with all my wonderful intentions, with, with, with whatever inspiration I can possibly muster. Instead, true life is based on the stunning reality that Christ lives in me. In me. Not, not just with me. I'm grateful God's with me. Not just around me. I'm grateful God is working around me. We're talking about in me. Christ lives in me, he says. Which means we have constant, 24-7, permanent access the very presence and power of God on the inside. So to the mind of Christ, to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, to the empowering, enabling grace of God. Now this reality changes everything. It is no longer Jamie that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And everyone said, amen. Finish him off. <laughs> so, so in summary, 
We need to die to the law. and We need to come alive to grace. Or better stated, we need to keep on dying to law and increasingly learn how to draw from God's grace. I love what Joyce Meyer said. I've nearly quoted all the commentators this week. You'd be impressed. She said, we cannot, we cannot mix law and grace and ever enjoy the kind of life that Jesus died to give us. She writes wonderfully on this stuff. You cannot mix law and grace and ever enjoy the kind of life Jesus died to give us. The trouble is, of course, human nature loves laws and rules because we intrinsically think or believe that good things have to be deserved. And we've been taught all our lives that we must work hard and earn what we get. And that's why we keep trying to earn over and over what is actually already ours by the grace of God instead of simply receiving it by faith. It works, it works something like this. What we do, I think, is we give ourselves laws to follow and we feel proud when we succeed and we feel guilty when we fail. The trouble is, we fail more often than we like. And so we give ourselves rules that, that, that make us feel like good Christians and then beat ourselves up when we fail to keep them. I must pray, for example, I must pray for everything and everyone every day. Anyone have that rule? Don't put your hands up. I must read my Bible for 15 minutes a day. I must look perfect all the time. I'm not talking about physically perfect. I'm looking, I must look, I must create this wonderful image of Jamie the perfect Christian all the time. I cannot disappoint anyone ever. Anyone have that rule? That'll kill you right there. Here's another one. When I slip up, I must punish myself until I feel sufficiently shameful, because I should. You know, that, that kind of legalism inevitably leads to a repeated cycle of disappointment and inadequacy and frustration. And I think the obvious question is, who wants to live like that when we can be free? Makes me wonder as I, as I ponder, what else do we perhaps try to earn? We know we don't need to. We understand that we have been justified by faith. It's all about what Christ did. But there's something in us that, that instinctively wants to feel like we earn or deserve. Four things I've suggested. Number one, love. The statement goes something like this. Surely God will love me more if. Who, who thinks that, that God's love for them is conditional based on their performance, what they do or they don't do? We probably all do to an extent. Paul said that's got to die. Something else has got to come to life. Here's another thing we try to earn, acceptance. I must do that, otherwise God will turn his back on me. What about this one, favor? The better I perform, the more good stuff I'll get from God. Subtle. Well, here's another one, answered prayer. Surely I have to deserve and earn answered prayer. 
Only if I do it right and say it right and get it right will God answer my prayers. Guess what? It doesn't work like that. The beauty of God's grace is, by definition, it is not, and indeed it never could be, earned. Grace is received by faith. So, that's the principle. What does that all mean for you and me? We need to learn how to tap into God's grace. The old way was law. The new way is grace. Paul says, I've died to the old way. And this new way needs to come alive in me. The old way was the best I could do. Law. The new way is finding out what he can do. The old way was doomed to frustration. The new way is the path to fruitfulness. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life you now live isn't to be lived in your own strength. You have been crucified with Christ and that part of you is supposed to be dead. Instead, Christ lives in you. What a powerful statement. You live, it says here, by, by faith in the Son of God. The constant access to the fullness of his love and provision. Verse 25, it'll qualify. I do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That's humor. He didn't die for nothing. So we need to stop going back to law and legalism. We need to stop going back to rules and regulations. We need to stop going back to, to striving and stressing. If we do that, it, as, it is as if Christ died for nothing. But here is the invitation. Very nearly done. Hebrews 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. All the grace you need when you really need it. And you can come to God boldly. You have his unequivocal, unreserved invitation. Access to his strength and his ability, his power. So that you can live a life not of frustrated and defeated legalism, but you can live a life of abundant joy and freedom in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how do we respond to that this morning? Perhaps the worship team would like to come to the front. Please, we're doing well for time here today. I'm going to give you three questions to ask yourselves. And as the worship team sing over you in a minute, the suggestion is to take those to, to the Lord. No, not all three, because you'll probably get confused. Pick one. Take the one that leaps. 
and then get on your knees and say, God, what do I do about all of this? Question number one is this. Are there any rules you've given yourselves that you know you need to let go of right now? And of course, the irony is, when it becomes grace, rather than law and rules and regulation, when it becomes grace, you're far more likely to do it. The one that jumped up to me was that reading the Bible for 15 minutes. It would be great to read the Bible for 15 minutes a day. But I tell you, if you make that a law and a rule, it will torture you. If you read the Bible as an expression and overflow of grace, because you love the Lord and because you're hungry for him and you want more of him, then that 15 minutes will fly by in a flash and will be nothing but pleasure for you. So question number one is, are, are there any rules you have given yourself? We all, we all do this. You need to let go of right now. Good news is, and we're working our way through Galatians, the good news is there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's freedom in Christ. Did you know that King Charles, that's King Charles, is going to pray? He's going to pray at the coronation. Apparently, he's going to pray for the book of Galatians and the book of Proverbs. That's a choice, I thought. Question number one. Question number two. What would a step away from legalism and into grace look like for you today? I've opened up quite a lot here. I've tried to kind of come at this from a few angles to get you thinking. Open up your heart a little bit. Here's the question. If, if the legalistic part of you is supposed to die, the grace part of you is supposed to burst into life, what would it look like for you, you today, to take a movement from legalism into living by grace? And question number three is, have you been justified? Is it your day today to get off the roller coaster of religion and to take that step of faith to invite Jesus into your life? That's where it all begins. There's a challenge before all of you today. Have you been justified? Is today your day to get off that treadmill and to make a decision? I'm going to live for Christ, in Christ, by faith. I'm going to receive his grace. I'm going to declare him Lord and open all of this up.